Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. said dad's had a stroke uh you need to come to hospital now it's very serious I think from (laughs) everything changed from from that point I'm so much closer with my family because of what's happened and I'm really really grateful to have that it's okay to have days when I what is going on it's so unfair I'm so angry about it But I think it's then bringing yourself back and thinking, it just takes time, it's patience. I think it's just love at the end of the day as well. Hello and welcome to On A Good Day with me, Elizabeth Callaghan. And me, Julia Ajayi. This is the podcast which delves into brain injury and its impact on all involved. Hi everyone, thank you for joining us for this episode. Now, it's going to be a bit of an emotional one today, but very uplifting. We're talking to a young woman whose story we know will resonate with so many of you. We are so pleased to have Serena Banfield with us today. Serena and her family became dear friends of me and my family after my husband Hector and her dad John were put in touch with each other through our local community stroke team. Serena was 16 when her dad suffered a stroke. In today's episode, we'll be talking to her about how she coped with the experience at a pivotal moment in her life, what she's learned and how it shaped her future so far. Welcome, Serena, and thank you so much for joining us today. Firstly, let's start with where you were eight years ago. You were only 16 and you just finished your first week at sixth form. Tell us about what you remember about that time and what happened next. Bessie, hi, thank you so much for having me. It's an honour to be to be invited on. Eight years ago, I remember I annoyingly had to do Saturday school. Thank you, Mum and Dad. And it was Saturday afternoon and I was just messing around with some friends and I got a call from my mum and she was very upset and I I kind of thought oh my goodness one of them's tripped over the dog and broken their leg and that was kind of my level of panic thinking oh you know what they've fallen over or something and then uh mum said dad's had a stroke uh you need to come to hospital now um it's it's very serious I think from <laughs> everything changed from from that point. Um, my very close family friends came and picked me up and took me straight to the hospital. And when I got there, my dad was 
all wired up. He didn't really look like him. Some of the kind of medication they've given him, it sort of, had, you know, changed the way he looked slightly just in terms of his, you know, he looked a bit sallow and he wasn't conscious. And I remember being taken into a family room and I thought, this must be quite serious if we're not just allowed to sit next to him and, you know, if he's not even awake. And the doctor came in and just said, your father's had a stroke. It's very serious. And he'd also had a heart attack in between him having the stroke and me getting to the hospital. They basically needed to operate to remove the pressure from his brain and also find out what on earth was going on with his heart. It was just, I've got quite hazy memories of of that conversation. And I think it was all a bit of a blur and a lot of kind of scientific words that I didn't understand. Um, And I remember having to wait at my friend's house for about five hours um, whilst dad went through surgery. And the doctor had said, it's a it's a 50 50 chance whether he's gonna come out alive um and if he does come out alive then he might be different when he wakes up to the person you knew before so that was probably one of the longest waits of my life just being in such a state of shock um and fear and then just kind of thinking what what is going to happen and kind of trying to figure out what my life would be if my dad wasn't going to be there wasn't going to make it through but then also thinking what on earth happens if he does make it through and he's not the same person and luckily he he did make it through but he was still very very unwell and he had to be in an induced coma for I think he was in an induced coma for maybe two months and then he had a month uh, so two months in an intensive care with 24-hour kind of nursing and being watched it was a long drawn out thing it wasn't just he was ill he had an operation he was better he came home again it was it was a long time of kind of getting to grips with the reality of what was happening my goodness it's interesting that you were going through that thought process at that time what's going to happen if he is there isn't I mean there's so much time I mean Julia and I have both been there your mind is just working thinking of all kinds of scenarios isn't it yeah how did you cope with that time that he was in hospital and obviously then when he came home as well and were you visiting him quite a lot in hospital or you know how how did that all work and how did that impact on your schooling so he had his stroke on the Saturday and I said to my mum on the Saturday evening I'm not going to school on Monday mum and she turned around and said yes you are and I I thought no I'm not going I can't I can't face it and I was so convinced that all I wanted to do was sit at home and just think about dad and kind of what had happened and actually although at the time I thought oh can't believe I'm being forced to go into school I don't want to go and do maths when my dad's so ill it was actually probably the best thing that I did because I was for eight hours a day 
I had my day planned out for me when everything else was out of control it was very touch and go as to whether dad was going to survive even after that initial operation he continued to have cardiac arrests throughout the next few weeks so there was so much up in the air in my personal life and so many kind of quite huge emotions and life changes happening so actually to have the structure of school was really really good and I was incredibly lucky that I had a really really supportive set of of teachers and kind of the pastoral care side was amazing but I definitely wanted to make sure that I was still there for dad I wanted to I was very clear that I wanted to know if anything was happening I wanted to basically have my phone on me so that if I needed to go I could go and that did happen a couple of times when I got a call and they said right we're coming to collect you because dad's had another heart attack and it's not looking good basically so I kind of was in school and trying to be in the lessons but also always with my mind in the hospital with my dad Um, and I visited him every day at the time I was also actually rehearsing for a musical which the irony of such a joyous thing paired with probably one of the worst you know events in my life is not lost on me um but actually there's something quite amazing about singing and dancing and acting being somebody else for however long it was every evening that was a massive help in getting through and that was whilst he was in hospital I was doing that visiting every day I had various family members who came and just helped support my mum and just you know helped get me to school every day and then he came home in December which we were obviously all so relieved about it was a massive thing we didn't we didn't think he was going to be able to um I was still not convinced that he was going to survive after however many heart attacks he had and then and then the initial stroke and it was a massive adjustment he was physically very different he just the nature of having to be on in bed sedated his muscles had wasted away he was incredibly thin his his scar where um they'd operated was very visible and literally stitched together of it's very visceral and then I was kind of seeing elements of that with my dad but my dad wasn't this monster he was my dad when he came home it was very strange and he he had to learn to talk again he lost his language and walk so he's sort of started from a blank canvas so the whole kind of dynamic at home changed you know just all of a sudden we had uh, you know things over the toilet so that he didn't lose his balance we had doorbells at each end of the stairs so that if he needed to go up he could be supervised he'd ring the doorbell he liked to pretend that he forgot that rule though and we often caught him going up the stairs without supervision he looked then quite guilty I mean physically completely different to what we'd known before how our family had functioned before emotionally as well the dynamics of 
our entire family changed. I won't sort of speak for my siblings and my mum, but the nature of your relationship does change when you kind of become a hybrid of carer, daughter. I felt like I had to step up and I wasn't just a child anymore. And I kind of was forced through that growing up process quite quickly. And How old are your siblings out of interest? So are you the old eldest? No, I'm, I'm the youngest and the baby. So my brother and sister are five and six years older than me. So my brother would have been 21 when my dad had his stroke and then my sister 22. Yeah. Still quite young, all of us. Were they living at home at the time? No. So my brother, he was at uni, he was studying at uni. So he was actually home that weekend that dad had his stroke, luckily. But my sister had moved out. She, she'd moved to Bristol. I was kind of the only one who was full time at home still. So, Serena, you've really given us a very honest and open description of some of the the changes and the challenges that you faced at that time. It must have had a huge impact on you, as uh, you know, as we know it does for for anyone um, whose loved one has a stroke or a brain injury. But for you at that age, particularly with everything else that was going on, that's such a lot to to cope with what kind of support did you get from from your friends and and at school you talked about your teachers and the pastoral care but what about your friends I found I found it very very difficult to communicate with my friends at that time actually I had really great friends I still have really great friends who, who were there during that time but I found it incredibly difficult to even have the language myself to articulate how I was feeling and what was going on, let alone to expect somebody else to relate to that and understand that who hadn't been through that or it wasn't on any of our horizons that that could happen in the near future to a parent or to a loved one. It kind of hadn't even crossed our minds. They, when I first told them, what had happened and kind of said oh you know sorry if I'm a bit grumpy dad's in hospital (laughs) he's pretty pretty ill but there was kind of this disconnect between me saying that and I think maybe them quite understanding how ill and how minute by minute hour by hour it was and I found that really really difficult and it's something to be honest that I haven't really spoken about with them because I I never wanted my friends to feel upset for me because I I just wanted I was very obsessed with kind of making sure that I was like carrying on and I I didn't want them to have to experience it so why would I describe things to them to such a minutiae to make them upset I don't know if I'm kind of articulating that in a in a good way but it was very difficult having those conversations and they were they were very sweet and kind of every day they'd be like oh how's your dad but it was sort of like yeah he's still in a coma um he he like wiggled his toe today you know and it was kind of and those things like dad you know dad wiggling his toe that was a big thing for us that was a sign of life and a sign of 
so I hope for us but you if you've not been in a situation like that it's very very difficult to relate and it was it was tough um so actually and maybe because I am the youngest in my family I've always got along better with people who are older maybe more mature than I am so I think I did find real solace in um I had some amazing female teachers who just were just there for me and I think I could speak to them on more of a level because they'd had loved ones who'd been ill who'd passed away they could really understand it and I felt like I think during the kind of critical period when dad was in hospital and I'm sure you both know this too it's it's exhausting to have to rehash everything and explain everything and for somebody who doesn't get it I think I was sort of like oh well I'll I'll give you an abridged version of what's happening not because I don't care about them or they're not a good friend it's because I didn't have the energy or the language I don't think to to go there to to have that conversation because it would just dredge up everything and again I, I mean I, it's quite a common saying is that you know when you talk about things you make it a, a reality and I think I struggled with that because I kind of wanted to just get on with things and I did I was obsessed with not being pitied I didn't want to be pitied I didn't want to be the girl whose dad was ill and in a way I kind of went so far the other way and being like no no I'm fine I'm fine I'm just getting on you know trying to approach life you know just as pragmatically as possible at that time so I think I probably didn't speak about it with my friends as much as maybe I should have done um and I think that's probably because I didn't know I didn't have the tools to know how Mm. um which is why I think what you're doing is amazing oh thank you um I totally resonate with all that you're saying and I think at that time a lot of the time there isn't much to say it's and and everyone's always asking and then you're like there's nothing to say they're still in a coma yeah I totally totally get that and you are just carrying on trying to be strong I'm glad that you had those teachers that you know has had that life experience because obviously it is really difficult for for younger people to relate to it did you have any professional help uh, as well not until my A2 so year 13 I then said I think I actually do need to talk to somebody but it was some counselling and that was provided by the school which again incredibly incredibly lucky to have had that provided again I just felt like I was rehashing it I didn't find it at that time it was particularly helpful to me just because I felt like I would go and relive it all in that hour and then I'd go and do it all over again the following week I think maybe it was just because it wasn't quite the right person. It wasn't quite the right fit for me because I've since had counselling where it's been more of a kind of conversation between me and the counsellor and them kind of asking questions, sometimes uncomfortable questions, sometimes questions that I hadn't even thought of. And later on in life, so um, my third year of university, I I had counselling and that was, I found that incredibly beneficial so what, what would you say you've learned through all of those experiences, Serena? If you could look back at your 16-year-old self now, what would you, 
what would you tell yourself and what have you taken from that? I've got the benefit now of being eight, eight years post dad stroke. So I've kind of, I've got the benefit now of I'm almost far enough away from it that that kind of initial, that pain and fear is slightly dulled in my memory, which is quite a nice place to be now. So I would probably just say time. It takes time. It takes patience. I think it's choosing the people around you who are going to be there for you and who you find a real support during that time and if I had my time again I think I probably would have just been a bit more upfront with my friends and said look I don't want to go over it all I'll tell you when there's something happening if there's anything happening I'll I'll update you when I feel comfortable I really appreciate you asking but actually it's quite painful to to talk about it the whole time I would never wish it on anybody and I would never I would never wish it on anybody young because I think it really forces you into adulthood incredibly early and prematurely. I mean, 16 is pretty much on the verge, but it really kind of fast tracks you into into maturity. But then on the flip side, I genuinely think I am a better person because of what happened. During lockdown, um, I was at my mum and dad's in third lockdown and I found some of my diaries and I was reading them. This is post, no, that was pre, pre-stroke diaries and post-stroke diaries. And the pre-stroke Serena, I just thought, oh my goodness, who is this girl? And she's, all she's worrying about is what boy she fancies and what clothes she's going to wear to that party or, you know, being jealous of her friends. Obviously, that's part and parcel of being a 16-year-old girl. And you learn to let those things go when you grow up anyway. But I think I had to do that very quickly because there were suddenly very, very much bigger fish to fry. It's made me a more empathetic person, more sensitive to what what things are going on in other people's lives. And I've noticed now, actually, kind of eight years on, I'm 24 now, 25 next month. But it's only kind of now that my friends are actually experiencing you know grandparents being very ill or maybe a scare with cancer or with the parent or something like that and actually I feel that they can come to me because they know that I know how it feels I feel like that's quite a privileged position to be in because if I can support people and make them feel understood and heard I think that's a good thing and I think I'm a good friend because of that. That's hugely valuable Serena. What an amazing gift that you're giving to other people. Look Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than hey <sighs> well that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I also know that you've taken some of those things that you've learned into your workplace as well. What would you say about how it's helped you at work? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I would say, firstly, I am very, I'm quite private about what happened with dad at at work because again like I said I don't want to be pitied I want to be somewhere on my own merit 
and I've I've been like that the whole way through I remember applying to unis during you know dad's recovery and everything and the teachers are like oh you know if you don't get the grades you want don't worry and that was lovely but I was like no because I want to get the grades that I deserve and that I've worked for I don't want to be defined by what's happened to me I want I want to forge my own path ahead and it's quite stubborn about that and I think I've kind of taken that stubbornness into later life and yes why I don't tell my colleagues unless they're very very close colleagues just because again I'm I'm there to do a job I think I'm quite good at like compartmentalizing things because I've had to really I've had to sort of put things in boxes so yeah I would say firstly I, I choose not to discuss it I just have a different perspective on things I think I'm very good at kind of looking at a situation and being like okay how critical is this is this dad's having a stroke he might die critical or is somebody waiting for an email that I maybe should have replied to yesterday that kind of weighing up of things and I I think once you've experienced something very very extreme and and traumatic it gives you a real perspective on things and I'm able to stay calm during quite stressful situations which maybe people who haven't gone through similar things or maybe don't have quite as good a perspective on things they would find stressful I'm also very kind of aware that a job is obviously a big part of your life but it's not my life it's part of my life I don't want that to define me. I think I don't really know what I want to define me, but I don't want it to be my dad's stroke. I don't want it to be work. <laughs> it's a job. It pays the bills. I want to find it fulfilling. But if it gets to the point where I don't have that work-life balance, then I know that it's time to move on. It's given you a huge perspective on life, isn't it? That yeah. a lot of young people don't have really. And it's, I guess it's given you kind of an overall view of you, your, you know, your experiences and actually finding your own way in life and actually your own identity aside of those things. Yeah, they're big, big parts of your life, but you are your own person. Yeah. So that's really important. And I just want to ask you about um, obviously how your dad is now and how the relationship changed, what kind of caring responsibilities you've taken on. Yeah, that's a a really good question he's well when people usually ask me that I say yeah he's good he's fine but and he is he is he's alive and he's walking again he's talking again he's driving again but it's different um to how he was before not always bad different I'll I'll touch on that in a minute when he first came out of hospital well I guess we start when he was first sort of woken up from the induced coma he had to learn to talk again so that was a lot of intensive therapy and then he had a lot of physio because of the muscle muscle wastage kind of getting him back on his feet again quite literally and the first few months at home it was a lot of supervising um interpreting what he was trying to say because he was trying really really hard to ask for things or to say what he wanted but he has um or he had aphasia so he would sort of know what he wanted to say and it would come out wrong 
I could see him getting frustrated. So I got very good at interpreting what he was asking for. Usually it was rice pudding. He went through a real rice pudding phase after after coming out of hospital. The relationship changed completely because he was my dad. I found it very difficult because I wanted him to still feel like he was this, you know, the father figure. And for all intents and purposes, he was more like a child in those early days. I think that relationship shifted massively. Actually, before I before I came on here, I was sort of thinking about that and thinking of some of the lasting impacts of, of that kind of dynamic shift. And I think I, I find it quite interesting how for a lot of my friends, for example, they have a very, very linear and kind of, you know, they're the child, they're looked after by the parent. And they'll always, their dad or mum will be at the end of the phone, you know, if they need them, and that's great. And I think I was sort of suddenly struck with that realisation that that's not going to happen the whole time. And actually, my dad might not be able to help me with, I don't know, sorting out a credit card or, you know, trying to book driving lessons or something like that. And so that was different and it made me kind of reassess my status within the family as kind of the youngest of three children but then also I was at home so I was kind of a carer as well and then yeah also kind of having to be a bit of a authority and you know be in charge of dad when mum wasn't around for example you know just make sure he was watched and not falling over and all of that stuff but since then, he it's been slow progress, but he is doing so well. His speech, every time, it's amazing. And I actually think I notice it more now I don't live at home. Every time I go back, he's a little bit better. In the early days, I would say just be patient with people's progress because it's like sometimes if somebody you live with gets a really short haircut you almost don't notice when their hairs suddenly grow back again because you've been there every single day and you don't register it and I would say it's the same with dad in that when I was with him every day I think I would feel oh you know he's not how he was and he still can't form those sentences or he you know he can't see that there's no milk in the fridge and no to just walk down to the shop he would panic and not know what to do because I was there the whole time and I was seeing all those little things that he couldn't do. But I think since moving away from home and then going back to visit and just with the passage of time, he just continues to make progress. Little things like, he was always a man of few words before the stroke as well. But I think he was especially quiet when he kind of first came out of hospital because he couldn't think quick enough and articulate the words quick enough to sort of join in a conversation now I mean my my mum's probably fed up with him because he's now making jokes and you know pulling her up on stuff I think you can't really start to progress when the foundations are fractured I think you have to have or try and be as tight-knit as possible and I know that it's difficult when people under stress act in very very different ways some people can't cope with it other people are amazing under stress I think dad has progressed as much as he 
has because of his own sheer determination firstly he's an incredible person he's amazing but I think because we've all encouraged him to do those extra kind of exercises in his workbook in the early days and just encouraging his speech and being patient I would say it's patience and when you feel frustrated not taking it out on that person or each other because no one's to blame it's one of those frustrating things because I think we love to have somebody to blame or something to blame and get angry and kind of vent that anger but when it's something like stroke there isn't any of that there aren't any of those outlets so I think people often kind of turn on each other sometimes under stress I think people can argue but just got to try and be patient and understanding cut yourself slack because it is actually really hard for not only the person who's been ill and had the stroke and you know it's a massive change in their life but it's a massive change in our lives too and I think that can't be underestimated and I feel like when it was first happening in kind of the early years I think I felt really guilty for feeling sorry for myself sometimes because I thought oh like why why am I feeling sorry for myself why am I almost sort of grieving in a way for for my dad because he's not died so I should I should be lucky I should be thankful but I think what I've learned now is that yes I am lucky and yes I'm incredibly grateful that that dad is here and he's made the progress he has but it's still really really tough and it's okay to have days when you're like oh what is going on it's so unfair I'm so angry about it but I think it's then bringing yourself back and thinking it just takes time it's patience and I think I think it's just love at the end of the day as well if you love somebody you just all you want is for them to be happy I kind of figured out early on I was like he's not going to be the same person ever again but I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that he should be because I don't think I don't think anyone should be the same person after they've gone through something massive because that event has happened. When you go through something massive, you change as a person. And I think some really amazing things can come of that. You know, for example, I'm a bit I'm more patient with others and more empathetic, but also with dad he can't he can't do the job that he used to do but I get to see him way more because he's present more he's not in an office you know on the phone the whole time and having those very very different stresses in life so he laughs a lot more and that that I love and I wouldn't change so yeah I think I sorry it's quite a garbled response but I think it's it's a mixture of things I think it's having a really solid relationship as a as a family unit and you know or if you don't have a partner it's having those friends that are like family to you who can who can really be there and are there to lean on in in times of of difficulty and just patience (laughs) it's time that has come up a lot patience and yes we definitely feel that here and I think you're right it is that process of grieving acceptance and gratitude and just being grateful that they they're they're here and you know their essence is still here but they're slightly slightly changed and also that there can be some laughter and Serena 
when uh, Hector and your dad and John get together, the laughter is, is so infectious, isn't it? I, yeah. Oh, it's so amazing. I don't amazing. think that at times we probably didn't think that we would hear that kind of laughter again from them, but it really is uplifting. Definitely. I'm so much closer with my family because of what's happened. And I think we have a really, really open relationship. We can talk about things. And I'm really, really grateful to have that. And I don't think it would have been the same if we hadn't have gone through what we went through altogether. It really showed me the importance of family and loved ones. It's very easy for there to seem like there's not any light at the end of the tunnel or kind of feel like it's a long, long way off, you know, any kind of recovery. But it's it's baby steps. It's just accepting that, Things will be different, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just changed, trying to embrace the change as much as possible and also cutting yourself slack if some days it feels like too much. Can you give us, and I think I kind of know what some of them will be, to other children who are going through this uh, experience like you have, what kind of advice would you give, some kind of three pieces of advice that you'd give? (laughs) Yeah, you can probably guess. I think the P word patience (laughs) is definitely one it's being patient with yourself and not putting pressure on yourself to be feel like you're being normal with your friends or normal at school it's being just giving yourself time to acclimatize but also patience with the person who's had the stroke and your family as well who's going through that so that's really important I would say as well really really choose those people around you who are going to support you and I think again one of the really really good things that's come from what happened my dad is that I know I know who my friends are because they're the ones that's that showed up they're the ones that offered to take me on the school run when my mum was too busy at the hospital with dad or the ones who cooked dinner or offered to have me over so that it gave my mum a break or whatever. So you you find out very quickly who those people are. And I think take note and accept help when people offer it. I think that, that I, I don't think I was very good at doing that. I think I was very adamant that I was just going to get on with it. And actually, I think accepting help is not weakness and it's not you not coping. And also... It might seem like a random one, but I think try and find the silver linings, even if some days it feels like there aren't any and there will be days like that. Um, I've had lots of them myself. And something else that's come from it is that I think we've all got quite a quite a wry sense of humour because sometimes it's like the old saying, if you don't laugh, you cry. And I think I'd run out of tears and you just thought, you know what, I just need to go go at life with a pinch of salt and look for the positives I mean this <laughs> my dad doesn't remember this because he was he, he was kind of still in a bit of a hazy state but it, I mean we, we can laugh about it now but when he was on the stroke rehab ward and I was rehearsing for this musical I, it was anything goes and I was I was the main character who's called Reno Sweeney and every and every day I'd gone to see dad and was telling him about the rehearsal and he couldn't, he was in the coma, so he couldn't really understand anything. And when he was out of the stroke, or on the stroke rehab ward, I saw him one day and was talking about 
the musical and I thought oh dad do you um do you remember what my character's called and he looked really kind of quizzical he was in thought and then he goes yeah yeah it's um it's Obi-Wan Kenobi (laughs) (laughs) and I love that story it's one of my favorite stories about my dad and that was that was in the depths of when he was still in hospital so much was uncertain and we just laughed we just fell about laughing so we thought that is that's brilliant that's amazing that that's come out because I mean what an anecdote to tell but also I think a little bit of laughter goes a long way really does it really does and I you have absolutely looked for the positives in the situation and that's absolutely what we're striving to do as well um with this podcast and with you know hearing people's experiences it is yeah looking like you say for the silver lining for the positives in what's you know a a difficult situation and yeah if you don't laugh you are going to cry so just go for the laughter yeah definitely I think some of my friends I think some of the things I'll kind of laugh at or make a joke and think oh Serena that's a bit that's a bit rogue and I think no I've seen worse I can you know I can cope with that joke (laughs) but um no and I think what you're doing both of you is is amazing and I think it's really lovely that you are kind of giving space to people like me who yes I haven't been through a brain injury myself but you're giving me a chance to talk about what it's like for the people around that person and and I think that's really important because it's it's not just one individual, it's a, it's a whole group. And I, I really appreciate you doing this and having me in to talk and probably lots of other guests who are far more uh, articulate than I am. I don't think we'll find anyone who's more articulate than you, Serena. <laughs> Fantastic. You've been brilliant. Oh, thank, you. thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and experiences and um, you know, sometimes it's not easy to talk about these things, but you've done really done so really honestly and with such truth. So I really, really appreciate that. And like you say, I I know this is going to resonate with other people. And if we can, in some way, help to have that shared experiences and to be there for others who might be feeling the same way, that just means a lot. So thank you so much. Thank you, Serena. And thank you, our amazing audience, for coming and tuning in. We really, really appreciate it. While you're here, we would love a favor. This is a new podcast, so please help us to spread the word by sharing on your social media channels. Perhaps take a screenshot of this episode and tag us. We are on Instagram as onagood.day. Please follow us and Twitter onagood.day. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And how about leaving us a five-star review? We would really appreciate it. Until next time, have a very good day.